Welcome to Wing Talk from the INAP Fixed Wing Group. Now here is your host, Steve Schlesinger. Hey everybody, welcome to the Linda Ronstadt, Ronstadt Podcast. This is your host, Steve, and today we're talking about 1974 to 1976, the Jerry Brown years. Wait a minute. This is Wing Talk. Today we have a special guest. Sean Shepard is joining us from um, Defiant Wings. And before we get to Sean, let's introduce the man of uh, the man, the, the guy with the best hair of all of us. That would be Luke. Luke, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, uh, we've had some really great weather recently, but it's been a bit windy. Uh, so I haven't been flying much. Other than that, yeah, everything's going well. You were just showing us a plane a second ago. <laughs> I, I said I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I've been working on AR Wing Pro, uh, but it's going to be a while until it's done just because I'm so busy with uni work and work work. So okay. uh, not not ready for... Uh, yeah, Summertime plane. Then. Yeah, uh, I'll pick it up and show it, but it's nothing too special, really. Yeah, there you go. Oh, look at this. You can see you have, uh, you have props on the front. So this is... Uh, a twin yeah, motor. There you go with my uh, tractor driven You plane. can barely even see it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to say that I want to thank you. There was some advice you gave on the first time you were on the show. So oh, okay. this was, I've been going through, I've been redoing all the planes I have. And mm -hmm. um, I had a plane that had some chips on the very end of the propeller. Yeah. And I, I was like, I, I don't really want to put a new propeller on it because I don't fly this plane that often. Hmm. So I got, I'm like, wait a minute. Luke said I can sand these things down. So what I did is yeah. I sat there and sat it down each side. Then I got my prop balancer out and balanced the prop. And the thing was just perfect. Yeah, yeah, you can uh, de definitely sand props down. I quite often fly on a rocky beach here in Portsmouth. Uh, and every time you land, you'll take chips out of the propeller. You can't, you know, replace props every flight. It's the only way is to you know, either cut them down or sand them down or, you know, live with unbalanced props, which isn't great either, so. Fantastic. Next on the list was an ordinary guy. He comes from London town. Fridays, he goes painting at the Louvre. He's bound to be proposing on a Saturday night, but he's lazing on a Sunday afternoon. A guy who's very busy. Hey, Darren, how's it going today? So busy, his microphone doesn't work. <laughs> 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 uh, I realize I need to turn the power on. <laughs> <laughs> Things work a lot better when there's power. We have such a professional presentation <laughs> 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 here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so sorry, yeah, everything's good. <laughs> I actually was flying today, so yeah, nice, nice day. Okay, okay. fantastic. Great. I just recognized that, that shirt, and I think I need one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I couldn't wear the other one. You told me I was not allowed to. <laughs> nah, that wouldn't be a good idea, and we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I haven't seen this shirt. Only planes. <laughs> it's like only. <laughs> That's awesome. Mark Hoffman is here. Mark, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, recently, I finally found some time and mood to start building again. So my AR Wing Pro is completely fit again. My clouds is upgraded. My uh, Funjet Ultra 2 is also maidened, uh, video will follow soon, and yeah, hopefully the stormy days will be over soon so I can go back regular flying. What happened to your F-765? 
uh, yeah, I, I just replaced it. Uh, so this is the old one that was in the clouds, and I just replaced it with the WSE because uh, the WSE has the better barometer and it can handle the 19, uh, 90 amp uh, continuous current that my clouds will pull on full throttle. So I don't want to risk to desolder my shunt resistor in flight. That was the main reason I wanted to switch it. So, yeah, that, that, that was the reason why uh, I switched the flight controller. Speaking of shunt resistors and pulling too much power, today's about power and big planes and lots of fun. And we're going to be talking with somebody. Well, I'll tell you how this all started. Um, we did, at the start of the year, we have the top uh, 20 planes of 2022. And so we people, I was just asking people, what are you going to fly this year? You know, because it's the middle of winter and no one's really flying that much. So people were talking about the planes that they're looking forward to flying. And I wanted to see the rating. And, and a few guys started saying, well, we're flying Defiant planes and Defiant wings. And I'm like, I haven't heard of this company before. So I looked at it and I'm like, man, this is a small company. Um, but these guys were really enthusiastic about how good the stuff was. And, and the planes were fantastic. And, you know, I think we got like maybe seven or eight votes or something like that. And I'm like, well, this is kind of what we're about, you know, putting the focus on these smaller companies who want to, you know, who actually serve the hobby. And so um, this was a guy on the list. I started, I joined the group. I really want to see, and then there was just about five, 600 members in the group, but they're very enthusiastic. Uh, the people love the planes. And, you know, again and again, it's like, these planes are fantastic. I got it. I've been watching videos, guys, you know, flight video after flight video. I'm like, this stuff is actually really good. So um, I'm talking to one of my friends. I'm like, you know, God, I have too many planes as it is, but we really got to get one of these planes. They look fantastic. So um, that's how I reached out to Sean. And um, this is uh, Sean. Welcome to Wing Talk. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you. Doing great. So we're digging we're out in the snow here. In the snow in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, yeah. We're we're having a blustery, cold, windy day, which they call summertime in the UK. Um, so <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, a little bit of rain, a lot of wind. I don't know. So I stayed inside today. But um, one of the things that we were talking about is one of the things I've noticed about people when they start up a company, would they make something for the FPB, FPB community, it's either one or two ways it goes. Either they're a business guy and they're like, I got to sell a million of these, or there are guys, what I see someone that has an engineering background, I'll go, okay, I, I kind of know what the story is. Here's a guy who built the plane for himself, and you're like, I wonder if I can do this, and kind of like get um, hot wire, cut it out, cut out your first wing, take it out, and you show it to a friend, and they're like, this is really cool, can you build one for me as well, right? Yep. Yep. And then, then what happens is their friends see it as well. Someone else is like, "Hey, can that guy build me a plane as well?" And then before long, it's like you're getting orders from people, and then people are asking, "Do you have a website? How do I order this?" And then after a while, you become like a guy who wants to sell stuff online, and so it it goes from like, "No, man, I'm just kind of like a guy who's building stuff for friends," and it's kind of. That's how it all started. And then all of a sudden, it's snowballed into something else. 
and as I'm not really out here to pimp my wares so much as I'm a hobbyist like you. I'm just making stuff. Right. I, I always like to say I'm just some dude in his basement with way too much free time. Um, <laughs> and that's that's pretty much how it all came about. I mean, you're you're exactly right. Um, I got you know into the wing hobby. I got into RC kind of later in life, but I got into the wing hobby and really wasn't finding what I was looking for. Um, and most of my friends, guys that I flew with, I mean, I we all flew hot wire wings from, you know, one of the four or five manufacturers that were around at the time. And <clears throat> I wasn't finding exactly what I was looking for. So I started, you know, I started an, an aerodynamics training on my own and just went through uh, step by step, a good friend of mine, uh, Adam Prue, gave me uh, a great book by, I think it's by Andy Lemon, and it's about RC plane design. And uh, just read through it and started doing the modeling and the designing and came up with something that I thought was something, you know, that I really liked. And I started showing it to my buddies flying around, and that's exactly what happened. You know, it was oh, that's pretty slick. Can you make me one? And, you know, that's cool. Can you make me one? And at that time, I was, I was, you know, hand cutting them on a, with a hot wire. So they were, they were coming out, you know, well, the left side's almost like the right side. They're, <laughs> when you say semi-symmetrical, you mean the left wing and the right wing, not the <laughs> airfoil? So uh, I knew I had to I had to step up my game a little bit, so I ended up building a, a four-axis CNC hot wire cutter, and wow. uh, and at that point the rest was history. You know, it just started rolling. Um, you know, and it it's it's grown. Um, last month was the four-year anniversary, so we've actually been in business four years. Um, I do drop the we a lot when I talk about the company. It is just me. But I've had a lot of support from not only my family, but <clears throat> some really great friends, um, really good test pilots, test builders. So I've, I've got a good core group that flies my wings. Most of them are locally within a couple hour drive um, and they test everything I throw at them. So and, and they <clears throat> they definitely test. Um, I've good. seen the aftermath. I've, I've had to send replacement parts and new center sections and yep that's not going to work all right back to the drawing board um, so one of the things i wanted to kind of get into today because you represent a segment of the hobby which is kind of something that uh, we talk quite a bit about <clears throat> when we do this top 20 list um we uh, got commentary from one member who from germany who will be, remain unnamed who uh <laughs> but everybody knows uh, who said, why are you guys always pushing this cheap Chinese stuff? There's better stuff out there. And so at one point, the custom foam market, I always kind of felt like it was like the craft beer market, which is the guys who like craft beers are a little bit persnickety, a little bit idiosyncratic. But after a while, now, before we, the show started, I looked up what the cost of a nano talon was going for, the straight wing nano talon from Zod. So it's $169 right now. And so when you look at that price range, what you look at is there's actually a lot of great custom foam you can get for 
a little less money, a little bit more money. It's in that same ballpark of the area. And all of a sudden, these planes aren't really that much different in price than a regular Chinese-made foam plane. Yeah, they're they're pretty close. I, I think the <clears throat> the main difference um, is how much you want to invest in the building. You know, I've now I and it's hard to compare because I don't own a ready to fly or you know a kit. Um, I've always looked at them as more assembly than building. Whereas a hot wire kit, yeah, there's there's definitely more of an investment in time in the construction of. Now, after you've built your first hot wire wing, I mean, they're pretty much all the same. The techniques are the same. The plane size changes, the measurements change, but the build techniques are all the same. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely more of an investment in time and effort to build it, but you get a far more custom build than you would any other way. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Some of them you know, come without pre-cut bays, like the, the larger, the 63 and 66, don't have a cut bay because some pilots like to put the batteries in the cheeks, some like to put them in the middle, so I leave that up to the pilot. Um, far be it for me to tell you how to build your wing, you know? Yeah. The, the, I'll give you the, the outline, the rest is on you, do what you want to do. What we tend to get a lot of in this hobby is um, we get a lot of guys come over from the quad side. And, uh, you know, we are still, we, we do get quite a, get a few guys who come in from the line of sight side. But the quad guys seem to understand how flight controllers go together. And they kind of, they see like, hey, instead of building a pl another quad that's going to fly for five minutes, I can build a plane that will fly for 30 minutes. And so a lot of enthusiasm comes from that side. And, but... Their first go around, I always tell them, build something like an AR Wing 900. It's this is a very simple plane. Um, put a better motor on there. Or actually, what happens is they just buy the PNP, the uh, the the kit that has the the motor comes with the prop, comes with the servos, everything. So it's ready to fly. Um, and after a while, they're like, I don't really like this motor super much. It's not very powerful. Is there something better? And then we can start talking about, okay, we'll replace the motor with something a little bit better. Better, You know, there's like, why don't you get yourself a good sunny sky motor? It's going to cost you about $25 by the time you ship it to your house, and it's going to be worth it. And then they're kind of like, next, they go into the AR Pro, and that is a better plane. You know, this is more custom. Even the PMP on that is better than the PMP on the AR wing. Um, but... You know, when you get to, like, going into from there, I, where they go from there is always, uh, I don't know, it goes all over the place. Some of them go into, it used to be like they would buy the things like the uh, Zode Dart XL or the Zode um, Talon GT. So, like, really good big planes. But now those planes are starting to get to two to $300 price range where... It doesn't make a lot of sense really to buy one of those, if especially if, you know, what are you looking for? Some guys are out for speed. Some guys are in for cruising. Um, and it's just really, uh, that's the one thing. I mean, is the planes you offer, do they have more of a, uh, do you have a variety of planes for the guys who like, you know, relax FUV or, or the guys who want to do racing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I. 
so the the line is there's basically what I call the defiant line, uh, which started with the defiant twenty eight, uh, went to the forty two, then to the sixty three, sixty six, and now we have the fifty two, um, and I classify those as sport wings. So the main emphasis there is um, a solid plane, um, you know, a, a wide array of configuration possibilities, a wide flight envelope. So a sport plane is, is really not designed to be a race plane. So it's got a wider flight envelope. So it'll, it'll do the high speeds. I've got one of my test pilots. It's got a 52 that does 140 miles an hour. Um, but I've spent a lot of time on the wing geometry on some of those. So the sport wings have a very low, uh, stall speed, um, very controlled stall when they do stall. And so, I mean, those types of wings could be run for racing if you wanted, uh, or you can just go out and cruise with them or, you know, you can go where I like to go down low, bashing gaps and things like that. So the, the sport wings are kind of a, a wide flight envelope wing. The, I have two race wings. One is the spec wing, uh, FPV WRA spec, and Alex Grief talked me into starting to cut those. And those have been a good seller. Um, you know, there are four or five manufacturers that make spec wings that all meet the FPV WRA spec. Um, so that's a race wing. And then I have the 38, the Aggressor 38, which is the first of the Aggressor line. Um, the idea of that is that is a purpose-built sport race wing. Um, a much longer cord, um, low aspect ratio wings. It is limited to tough build, you know, to get the CG right, and you're limited on battery configurations, but it's insanely fast, and it's just silly how maneuverable it is. Um, yeah, for, for reference sake, we should mention that 48 inch is equivalent to about 1200 millimeters, 1219 millimeters, I think it is. And so the 32, the, you're saying that's a 32 or a 28 for the, the aggressor? The aggressor is a 38. 38, okay. So that means it's about uh, 1150 millimeters or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's the people, all the people that I I spoke with, the guys that I fly with, and some of the racers that I've spoke with really keyed in that 38 inches is really the the sport wing size, uh, the right the right wingspan for a sport race wing. So that's what I went with. Um, it turns out that after I got that plane done, it flies slow really well too. So it, it's really a great all-around wing, but it's not um, as freely configurable as a sport wing. The sport wings, I mean, you can cut your bays any way you want, stick stuff all over the place. Um, the 38 is, is, a, is a thin airfoil. It's a long cord, but it's a fairly thin airfoil, so there's not a lot of room uh, and has to be set up a certain way to get the CG right. Um, it's set up with the motor mount with the motors hanging way off the back. We're running um, partial wing ailerons or elevons so that the inner half of the wings are still foam. So you get a nice clean 
trailing edge and then set the motor back off the back so we're getting nice clean airflow to the prop so much more efficient and quieter actually uh on the back so wow that's, that's a fun plane and yep. um it's it's interesting, especially when you talk about the sizes of planes, because we did that was the other thing we did a, a survey on is what size planes are you guys? Well, actually, when they voted on the planes, I could figure out the size of the planes that appealed to them, and the average plane was one meter, so that's probably like about thirty two. No, it's thirty nine inches. Thirty uh, one meter to inches. I. I yeah, so it's about thirty nine inches a meter. Okay, so yeah, that that tends to be the sweet spot. And what what I've noticed is when you get into these larger planes, when you start to get into forty eight inches, like uh, that is kind of was the RC standard for many years as far as custom foam planes were concerned. Was the four foot plane, mm -hmm. uh, twelve hundred nineteen millimeters. And once you start getting bigger than that, then the plane becomes kind of it's very smooth in the air, and it flies great, but it is also something that is not as maneuverable, and so it's, you know, you definitely, you will feel the difference between a, a 1.2 meter wing and a 900 millimeter wing, um, but once you get over 1.2 meters or 48 inches, it's really, it's, it is, I know it doesn't seem like it, but it's a really big plane. It is, um, you know, there's always the old adage that bigger flies better. Yeah. Um, and it's it's true. I mean, I've always the fact of the matter is that aerodynamics just don't scale well. So you know, the same design that's twenty eight inches, you could you could create the exact same design in forty eight. Forty eight is just going to fly better. The aerodynamics are better. The Reynolds numbers, you know, it you know aerodynamics just don't scale well. Um, but. That was one of the things I wanted a larger wing. I went to, I started designing the one of the things I wanted was I wanted a larger wing, but I wanted a, uh, a gap basher. So I'm a bit of a gap basher. I love hitting gaps wherever I can. Um, so, you know, low and fast is pretty much my favorite flying style. I, you know, I love to cruise. Um, most of my stuff is not insanely fast. But even an 80, 90 mile an hour wing, 18 inches off the ground, that's pretty fast. You know, that, that, that world's coming by you pretty quick. So I wanted something that was larger, that was in that 42 to 48 range, but that was still maneuverable, that I could do uh, hit gaps with. And that's what I spent a lot of time with, because uh, when you're down low and you're hitting those gaps, you're coming from a quad background, FPV quad background before that, you know, when you were coming to a gap and you weren't sure in a quad, you just said, no, oh, wait a minute, you know, we'll catch that one next time. The line's not right. We'll just stop here and go back. With a wing, you can't do that. You know, you're committed. Um, so I wanted something that was big enough, smooth enough, yet agile enough and could slow down in case, you know, I got those jitters at the last minute and wanted to slow it down a little bit. So that's why I went with the 42. Um, and, you know, I like to say that I, I arrived at the 42 through, you know, all kinds of comparisons between wingspans and everything. But what I found was at the time I was buying um, a two foot by three foot piece of foam from Flying Foam. 
and yeah. 42 was 42 inch wing was the only thing I could fit on one piece of foam. So I went 42. <laughs> uh, there's the real reason I went 42. Interesting. Um, yeah. But yes, as you start to get bigger, they are less agile. But the new 52, which is hanging up here behind me, I think a lot of people would argue um, the 52 seems to be the magic proportion. Um, yeah, tell us about that because that there's a lot of interest in that. And before the show started, people were writing in like, "I'm excited about this plane," and I was the, that was one I keyed on as well. Just kind of like knowing having a 48 inch plane, knowing like it's nice, but a few more inches, not five feet, but maybe four more inches would be perfect. Well, so. <clears throat> Uh, the 52, I blame on a friend of mine over in Australia, Dave Foster. Uh, he was a friend of mine and a uh, mutual friend of mine and, and Ruben Hadegi over at Sweep Wings. And Dave really was designing and building a 42 for himself at the same time I was. And then um, six months go by and he builds his 64-inch uh, wing based off of, off of his 42. And over the years, he kept telling me, well, we had a 42. Now you've got to build a 64 like me. And, and what I found was that a 64 wouldn't fit across the back seat of my truck. So I came up with a 63. Um, he then cut his, 63, his 64 down to a 52 and absolutely fell in love with it. Said it was the absolute perfect proportion. And our, our wings are very similar in proportion. We use a similar airfoil and a, and a similar cord length um, formula. And so he's been after me for years um, to cut a 52. So I finally acquiesced this uh, last summer and cut the 52. And I got to admit, the guy's right. Uh, <laughs> the 52 really does feel like the perfect ratio. Um, I cut mine and uh five for the test crew we took it to uh any fpv feet meet in september and it was the first time we had the five six test wings all together flying at the same time and um we had completely different setups so i'm running i'm flying 4s i'm flying a, a 32 20 sunny sky 1100 on a 10-7 prop. It's a great cruiser, uh, sips on the power. It is a absolute effortless launch. It just kind of flies out of your hand. Um, and I love it. You know, it's about 18, 1850 grams all up weight with a GoPro. What was the battery you're using as a 4S? Which, which 4S, um, I run anywhere from a 4S 3700 to a 4S 6000. Okay. Um, I like the 6000 in it. Uh, it's a it's a high C, 60C 6000. Um, and it's great. I mean, it just it flies forever. The one thing that really appeals to me about that plane, uh, other than the size, because the 48 it does feel really good, and I know that another four inches would feel even better. So that probably is like the perfect size. The thing that really was interesting is, like, I got a, a deal on a Sweep Wings plane a couple years ago, and that came in. They're trying to push those with six-inch props on there. So little six-inch props are loud as hell, especially, and, you know, that's the problem that I've seen. That's one of the reasons why 
I haven't gone for some of those other more popular planes because they want to push these really high KV small props. And I'm really, a, I like larger props. That thing takes a 10 inch prop. So you're running with the 10 inch prop. And what that will do for you is it gives you a kind of, it, it'll be a really nice cruiser. It is. And it's, it's static thrust for days. And I'm all about static thrust. I like to, like I said, I like to fly low and fast. And when you're down low, you need that static thrust to get out of trouble. If you slow down and you find yourself in a tight spot, you want to be able to accelerate and get out of there as quickly as can. And for me, it's all about the static thrust. So, in fact, that's the same size prop I run on a 63 uh, is the 10.7. I love a 10.7. It's a great prop. Um, but, you know, it's it's... It's a wide platform. Uh, one of the test pilots made it a twin. Of course, he Frank makes everything a twin. So he's <laughs> he's got twin. He's got a twin thirty eight, a twin sixty six, a twin fifty two, a twin twenty eight. Um, Kevin Pratt. Kevin's got a you know. Kevin is the poster child for you know more power. Um, you know, if you can't if you can't finesse it, just throw more horsepower at it. And he's running an 8S52 that does flat out sustain 140 miles an hour around the track. Wow. It's, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, that's, that's Kevin. Kevin builds a little heavier. He adds a little more, some more spars, goes a little bit stiffer. Kevin holds, Kevin holds uh, the Defiant record, which is an 8S28 at 162 miles an hour Jeez. flat and level i think he holds an overall record with a, a right wing demon at like 212 oh god <laughs> yeah so kevin you know kevin's all about going fast um yeah that, and that's the you brought up right wing um i love those guys chris click and then the group uh they've had issues with the um Net, the mini drag getting their hands on the foam out of Germany because um, the factory wants full containers of it. And the reason I bring this up is because we got guys in the group who are like, what can you do to make sure we can get this ordered? And I'm like, you need to order 250 of them. If you want to come up with a quarter of a million dollars, we can make this happen right away. Um, but, and then that, you know, that's one end of the custom foam. I don't know. It seems to be a, a line a mile long for people who want to buy that plane in particular. Um, and then on the other end, when you look at the Chinese foam, there are some real popular names, but there's also a lot of these brands that come up out of nowhere. And every year there's always one or two. And I know like if you buy this plane and you crash it and you break uh, a winglet or something like that, unless you can fix it yourself, mold something and make it work, you're never going to get it again unless you want to buy another kit. After about a year or two, these things are going to become obsolete and you're going to end up with an orphan that you can only keep for a while until it breaks. Now, custom foam, I would imagine like if I were to buy one of your planes and absolutely screw up one wing, is it possible I'd call you up and say, listen, I need one wing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not a problem. See? So, <laughs> I mean, that's... They're fairly simple. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into getting the geometry right and the proportions and stuff like that. But, you know, the winglets are just, 
they're chloroplast. Um, you crash and you lose a winglet, call me up and I'll send you another one or go to Home Depot, get a piece of chloroplast, trace the one you have, cut it out with a utility knife and you're back in the air. Yeah. Uh, um, so there, there's nothing, you know, too horribly complex about it. What about the, I'm always asking about as a whole wing. Let's say you, you've, yeah, sure. Not a problem because they're yeah. all, they're all cut. You know, they're a standard cut and everything I cut is still, I haven't retired anything yet, which is something I'm, I'm mulling over whether I'm going to start retiring wings. Um, I have nine different wings that I cut and for one person, um, that's hard. And I, I've switched to, especially during the pandemic, when things got a little crazy and the market was up and down, I switched to a cut on demand. So I don't cut a bunch of wings and have them ready to go. When an order comes in, I'll cut that wing. Um, and, and that keeps me from, you know, because I've tried to guess, oh, boy, you know, 28s are real hot right now. I'm going to cut a bunch of 28s. And. Then I don't get another 28 order for three months, you know, and I'm, I've just wasted all that foam on 28s. And I'm not sure when I'm going to sell another 28. So everything is cut on demand uh, right now. And if you snap a wing or stuff the center section and want to rebuild, you know, and it's EPP. So you've most of that stuff will buff out. So, I mean, you've got to stuff it pretty good. And happy to cut a new one for you not a problem um so i mean everything is standard nothing has changed so if you need to cut one i can cut one not a problem um yeah we have a question for sean in the chat um daytona fpv asks with the 52 how would they do with being launched vertically from the ground with it standing on its yeah back uh, so is it stable enough to just launch it vertical while standing on the like on the wingtips? Um, it would if I had winglets that were shaped that way, but my winglets are not symmetrical, so it it really wouldn't stand up. I mean, if you wanted to put your if you wanted to cut your own winglets and stand it up, yeah, it it'd take off vertically. That's not a problem. Okay, because uh, they are discussing right now in the uh, chat how to launch it uh, properly, especially because it's it's pretty big. Uh, but like Frank DeBras says, uh, they just give half throttle and pull it up in the air, and it just goes away. Frank is the Frank is the gentleman who built the twin, so Frank would know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it. yeah. Uh, Swiss yeah. freak. Uh, yeah, he yeah. Also so says, basically, you throttle up to about half throttle. And just up over your head. Uh, it's it's an effortless launch. It really is. So, and one of the things that that scare a lot of people about wings is launching them. You know. So um, I've always said that you know if the wing is set up correctly, it should come out of your hand and just fly. Yep. Um, one reason that bigger flies better is that. When you launch something bigger, everything happens slower, right? You launch that wing, it kind of lumbers up in the air. If it's going to go to one side, it'll give you a, a hint, it'll give you a warning, and it'll start to roll off to one side. You get down to a 28, you know, and you whip that thing in the air, and things happen pretty quickly. And if, you're, <laughs> if it's not right, you don't get a good toss, you don't get your hand under control fast enough, um, that can be over real quick. 
you know, before you get your hand back on the uh, on the transmitter, um, it's on the ground kicking itself over on the, you know. Um, you know, a lot of times what I'll do, this is a this is a 28. This is actually the first, this is version three. So this is the first production 28. On a 28 and the Sprite, I usually just do a football toss. I just hold my hand over the throttle, grab a hold of this, and just throw it. Wow. And if this is set up right, I can throw this 60, 70 feet. It'll pop up in the air, about 30 feet in the air. And then I can just roll the throttle on when I'm ready. You know, just give it a good football toss. So, you know, that's one of the things that scares people about wings is launching. And, and, you know, and I know that if you're running a flight control board uh, and you have auto launch, that makes things a lot easier. But, you know, something like the 52 is really just an easy wing to launch just because you get up about half throttle and pull it up over your head and off she goes. Yeah. You, you were we, on the show prep yesterday. We were talking about the 52 and you said that years with the GoPro is about a little under four pounds. So yeah. that's uh, what about two kilos. Yeah. It's, it's 18, depending on the battery, it's about 1850 to 2000. So 1850 to two kilograms. Okay. It's like four, four, four and a half pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's and that seems to be like a pretty. Uh, I know it seems like oh, that's really heavy. That'd be heavy for an AR wing or something that's really small. Yep. This is a big plane, so yep. when you put that out, it feels right in your hands. It does. It does. It feels light in your hands. It simply because you're looking. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an illusion with your brain. You're looking at something this big, you know, that weighs four pounds, so it doesn't feel nearly as heavy as you think uh, four pounds should feel. So yeah, it, it feels light in your hands. It's very, you know, it can be set up to be as docile as you want, you know, just a nice cruiser. It's very well behaved. Like I said, I spent a lot of time on the geometry to get the stall, the slow speed and the stall characteristics um, friendly. So, I mean, I won't go so far as to say it won't stall. I mean, every eventually every wing is going to stall, but you want it to stall predictably. Um, you don't want it to drop a tip, which is a, a big issue with swept wings, especially uh, flying wings. But a swept wing is going to drop a tip uh, because that tip is going to stall before the root does. Oh, interesting. So... I spent a lot of time early on, and I still spent a lot of time getting the wing geometry, adding the right amount of twist to the wing structure to make sure or to at least help the root stall first. When the root stalls first, the wing will will nose over and just start to lose altitude because you've, you've lost the lift in the center part. By doing that, you still have lift of wings tips, so you still have aileron control. So you're completely in control still. You're just losing altitude. And as you start to lose altitude, you pick up airspeed, and the whole thing reverses. 
This is also something uh, people confuse because if you if you fly a swept wing and you have too much uh, elevon throw, for example, and you go too strong on pitch, it also can stall even at high speeds, and then it ju just flips over, goes upside down, and if you are uh, if you are then uh, not experienced enough to detect that this was a stall actually and not some kind of ring ripped off or so, uh, it will you will be a, uh, have a hard time to cap uh, to catch it again because then it will start to spiral uh yep. wh while you are in a looping and uh yeah if you just pull up like crazy it will just continue to spiral and that that's okay. what what just recently happened to someone in the uh in the fixed wing group to an i, I think it was an ar pro uh he also stalled and the wing started to spin and he just he was in autopilot mode and then he switched i think in angle mode and of course einaf just pulls up it doesn't start, uh, try to stop the rotation first. It just pulls up and that makes it even worse. So yeah, that, that can happen. Uh, th that's one thing why a lot of people uh, prefer the um, swept forward wings, like with the right mm -hmm. wings, for example, because they uh, they never uh, 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 stall the tips first. They stall the roots, so they just go down with the nose. Right. But <laughs> but the funny thing is, sometimes then uh, what can happen is that uh, people mix up uh, a bad tune with an actual uh, stall on these planes on a, on, uh, on a swept forward. Because then, if you go into a looping and you have or in a loop and you have too much throw, it will just pitch the nose up and down while it goes around. Because it's stalling, catching, stalling, catching all the time, yeah. and then people think the the plane is tuned badly, but actually they just have too much throw on the on the elevons. Right. Hey, Darren, I got a question for you. Um, you've been flying RC for about the same amount of time. I have about 2016. Um, yeah, about that. Okay. <laughs> Luke has been flying since he's from about 2008, I believe, and. Um, <laughs> yeah how many of these no, planes that do you have when you bought back in the starting around 2016 how many of them do you still have i mean how, how many i should ask how many have you gotten rid of over the years through uh, uh crashes or something like that i haven't actually I, I think there's i've not actually gotten rid of any um but my first plane actually you won't see up is was the uh riot which is the second one into a traditional plane yeah uh first fpv plane was an s800 which i destroyed uh <laughs> but um i've still got it i've glued it all back together i just haven't flown it but it's pretty much in one piece so yeah, there is, there's a reason i'm asking this is because i've been noticing myself like uh i'm going through right now and i've told myself i'm gonna fly every plane i have i give myself a year to get every single plane flying and um, I've been going back, looking at some of the notes, and some of these notes go back to 2017. On, so the reason I this up is because um, we are now in this era where your flight controller can be set up pretty well. You can set your plane up pretty well. The, the receivers are working fantastic. Um, your chances are you're not going to lose your plane, and more chances what i've been noticing is like my first flight controller i still own it's still one of my planes from 2018 these things stick around for a while so when you look at these things as an investment as in this is something that i'm going to enjoy for not just a year or so i think a lot of these planes that i was looking at 
like one of the ones I first got when I first got into the hobby was like I was telling everyone you got to buy this this Evo One Thousand by Hacker. This thing, Hacker Hot Wing, it's an amazing plane. It flies great. I took it out. It was one of the planes I decided to fly the other day to see if I could still get it to fly, and it, it was flying great. But I was like, this is really something that was designed to fly for a summer or two, and then you throw it away. It's not really designed for long term. Uh, but there seems to like. But now we're with INAB, you can keep these planes around for a lot longer. So it seems to me make more sense to put a little bit more money into the airframe and the electronics and get this have something that you can fly and enjoy for five years or so. So and that's when I'm looking at these custom foam planes, um, with the perception of like this is something that you're not just gonna buy for what and fly for a season or two. This is something that you're gonna keep around for uh, I know the company's been in four years in business, and at four years, you still have your first few planes that you built. Oh yeah, yeah, I have everything. Wow. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I have ever retired—I mean, obviously, this one is this one has seen better days, but this was yeah. the first prototype. Um, that was, you know, that was more than four years. That was before I started the company. Uh, the only thing I ever got rid of was uh, my first spec wing was a VAS spec wing, and that was the wing that I learned to fly fixed wing on. Uh, I actually donated that a couple of years ago to a friend of mine who was getting started and wanted something that was already built, and I gave him my spec wing, and, uh, you know, it flies like this, you know, <laughs> it's just spars are loose, and, you know, but... You know, I, I always tell people, too, when they're I, I have a lot of first time pilots, a lot of um, a lot of guys coming over from FPV quads. Um, in fact, that was the whole reason behind the 28 was this is designed to handle five inch quad parts. So, uh, you know, 2204 to you know 2306 fit right on the back. Uh, 30 amp ESC. So All you need is a couple of five dollar servos, and you're good to go. Yeah. Which plane is that? It's the 28. It's what What's it called? Defiant 28. It's um, Defiant 28. Okay. Yeah. So it's a sport wing. It's the wing. It's the first wing that I sold. It was the wing that started the company. Interesting. And it's you know it takes all the five inch quad parts. Um, I had. I think the first year I built it, I had one pilot put a low KV-2204 and INAV on it. And I thought, I kind of giggled. I'm like, you're putting INAV and a 28-inch wing? Okay. And <laughs> he put it in, and a bunch of guys follow suit. They love it. They take it out. They go cruising with it. They get as much range. you could. He would drop down to 3S and put a 2200 in it. You know, and take it out long range. Um, you know, he could take it out and fly it for 20 minutes on a, you know, on a 2200. Just go out and cruise with it. We wow. have we have people putting I, uh, full INAV setup into a little glider. I mean, it's it's this plane yeah. is like this size. Uh, there's one guy in the in one of the uh, German FPV communities uh, who made a little glider. You don't see it from the outside. The only thing where you can see that it's in flight controller setup is if you turn it around because uh, you see the uh, 
the wires i think from the vtx on one side in the video uh, in uh, in the ring uh, where the vtx is mounted and the uh, fpv antenna uh, he really makes it so clean the servers are inside the fuselage uh, he has his crossfire nano receiver basically embedded in the back where you slide the uh, the uh, horizontal stabilizer in in this slot he made a small groove put the receiver in there shoved the crossfire antenna into the tail into the uh, vertical stabilizer so it's completely invisible and all the wires go inside the fuselage you don't see that there's a flight controller or any rc stuff in there and he just toss and flies it and it's it's crazy this guy put a lot of work in this little thing it freaks all his friends out when he puts his transmitter down and walks away. Yeah, <laughs> of, of course. It, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so a little 28-inch plane is going to be very agile in the air, too. That's something, if you want to rip around a park in, that's a perfect little plane to fly that. And it's 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 one of the planes I've uh, – one of, one of my test pilots always said that he was a <clears> – Chris Perry's a very active in the – multi-gp and um he takes it he used to take it to the quad races and fly it through all the gates on the quad uh quad course um and he used to he used to like to freak people out because he'd put it into a wind and then cut off the throttle and just pull all the way back on the elevator and it would just land vertically so it would come <laughs> up and it would just sit and it would it bounce around a little bit and it would just settle down and it land just about a spot landing so it's um, it's very stable. It can fly very slow. Um, that's like I said, one of the things that was a prerequisite for me was being controllable down slow, and that one can just about land uh, vertically. So it's it's a it's a great little wing, and it's you know it's a sixty dollar wing. Um, and if you've got the quad parts already, you know if you've got an old motor and an old ESC, and you know a, a, a you know, a receiver or, you know, a receiver that has pins or if you want to throw, you know, a flight controller in with INAV, if you have that stuff laying around already, it's 60 bucks. You're in the air. A couple of $10 servos and, uh, you know, I, I flew it with a 4S1300 pack. I've got guys to fly with whatever they were flying on their quad, uh, you know, 6S1800 or 6S1200. So it seems like the market you're going after with this is the S800, the Reptile S800. It seems like it's a smarter version of that plane. If that if you're going to be spending the $45 for an S800, spend the extra $15 and get this. Well, you know, it's funny. I, you, you say it's the market I was going for. It's, it's actually funny. I think there wasn't a market I was going for. Um you know, and I've always told people, I build wings that I want to fly. Yeah. I design them because it's what I want to fly. Um, and it turns out a lot of people want to fly the same thing I do. And if you don't, uh, that's great. Um, there are a lot of other manufacturers that have different options. I'm not trying to, to, to hawk my wares here, but, you know, I'm an FPV hobbyist. I... Got into wings because the adrenaline rush with a wing was more than the adrenaline rush I was getting from a quad. So I got into wings. I mean, nothing makes your knees weak and, and shake uh, like standing there flying through, you know, these tiny little gaps with a wing. 
that you know you can't stop. You know, you're once you commit, you're committed. So it's either try and find the hole through to the other side, or close your eyes and and uh, and wish that you get. To, you know, hope you get to the other side. But so it was kind of the adrenaline rush for me that got me into wings. Um, and then you know, I I just found. I like to fly low and fast, but I also like to cruise. And I didn't want to have to have a different wing for every mood I happen to be in that day or decide what to bring. So um, I started designing the 42. The 42, I lost uh, my VAS um, micro wraith. Uh, it went walkabout on me uh, hmm. one morning. And... Uh, so Alex Greaves said, well, why don't you just make a 28-inch version of your 42? And I designed it. He cut it for me. And that's where the, 40, the 28 got started. Um, like I said, I'm just a hobbyist like everybody else. I'm just going out having a good time. And people seemed to like what I was flying. So I started cutting them for them. So, I'm selling them, and we got them in 18 countries. So, so what kind of hardware are you putting in these planes? As far as when you take out the fly, you, you're flying with these with iNav. You're flying with just with the camera and VTX or no GPS or. I'm uh, I'm pretty much raw dog. Um, you know, it's just a receiver and servos, and, and I'm off. I do have some of the stuff I'm doing now. Some of the research and development. I've I've got a. A large twin I built for doing long range, so that'll have a flight controller and GPS. Um, the thing that I'm working on now, my VTOL, obviously has a flight controller. It's a tilt motor VTOL, so I've got a flight controller in that. But everything else is seat of my pants, uh, and it's up to me to get it out there, and it's up to me to get it back. Um, and and for me, you know, that's part of the fun of it. Uh, you know, sometimes they don't come back. Uh, sometimes I spend the rest of the day going and looking for them. And, and but uh, I don't I don't long range is not really one of my, you know, I get too nervous on a long range flight to really enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I'm one, on my long range plane. I'll go out a couple of miles and come back. But it doesn't happen often. I'm usually in a field and I'm usually you know, a foot to five feet off the ground the whole time, uh, about half throttle, and uh, just looking for some hole to shove it through. Um, you know, so in those instances, I'm, you know, chances are, you know, chances are pretty good. I'm, I'm going to be able to find it even if it goes down because it's not more than a couple hundred yards away from me. So, um, we we do get guys who join the group, and they the messages I get from them are like, "I'm looking for my first FVV plane. I wanted something that's small and simple to fly around the park, also capable of doing long range FPV." And I'm like, "Okay, so what you're asking for is basically a sports car that can that's a roadster but that can fit the family of four, room in the trunk, it gets a hundred miles per gallon, gets hundred miles per gallon, <laughs> right? And it's called gravel." You know, yeah. it's like it's you want a little bit of everything. But so I started really asking people in the group, um, put out surveys. How far are you guys flying with these planes? How long are you, are your flights? And what I'm getting back was uh, the flights are lasting less than 20 minutes, and they're flying less than a few kilometers away 
for the most part. The average flight, not not in the guys who do long range FEV, man, those guys, they're completely set on something. But that, if you're into that, you are completely into it, and you know exactly which specifically yeah. for that. Right, yeah. you set a plane for that. You're going out in the field, in the middle of nowhere. You've got the ground station. You know, you're doing the prayers. Um, the uh, one of the best times I have with Mark Hoffman was when he went flying a, a mission and it went away <laughs> for <laughs> for 20 minutes. And he was like, one of his favorite planes was out of range for 20 minutes. Yeah, uh, j just to make that clear, uh, the flight itself was in total, I think, 80 minutes, 80, 85 minutes. And uh, there were 20 minutes of this mission where I had no con no RC link, no FPV, nothing. Where it was in the complete RF shadow. And uh, yeah, I just had to wait. And I was texting with, with the guys in, in our group. And I was testing with, texting with people in WhatsApp. And I said I was shaking here. And yeah, and then I had the first glimpse of OSD text visible in my monitor and I was okay it's coming back <laughs> and 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 uh, that's the point uh, you say you start to shake and get nervous when you fly towards a gap because uh, you have a point of no return you cannot stop on on point right. uh, you have to you have to get it at one point and that's like uh, for me flying long range I fly out uh, then for example I lose video and then it's just Do I get video back? I never know in that time. That's that's pure torture, but that's also the fun. And sometimes it can happen. The plane is like uh, 10 kilometers away. Your battery voltage is at 3.6 volt. Um, <laughs> and that's, and that's uh, the point when the fun begins. I'd, I had one funny story uh, when I just did my first uh, long range twice. That was when I just got an um x9d radio my first big radio before i used the fly sky uh i6 and uh, i was using my classic ar900 with the stock setup the bad motor on it and i was flying long range back then that was around maybe six seven eight kilometers or so um i flew in one direction and then i came back and i said okay uh i just put it into no it it face saved And uh, I said, I said, okay, it will stay in return to home. So I just put my radio on my car roof to make sure uh, it, it gets connection back and I have my telemetry and I can see what the plane does until I have video. So I got video, uh, video back. And sometimes I controlled on the radio and move the sticks when it says uh, inactivity alarm. And that movement of the stick and the return to home, it switched, to home. it switched back into 3D cruise mode. And I didn't notice that. And after a while, my video quality went bad again. For some reason, I, I couldn't find where, where my video feed is gone. And so suddenly I looked on the radio on the telemetry and it said, uh, distance to home, uh, three kilometers, 3.1, 3.2, 3.4. The battery was nearly empty already. And I, and I quickly turned my, uh, my ground station antenna by 180 degrees and the plane has passed us like uh, 200 meters away or so and it was going away in the other direction. And then I had to f uh, fly against the wind back to us <laughs> to get the plane back. Yeah, that was, that was one of my first uh, uh, critical long-range experience I had. So But Mark, yeah, that, that's the fun. Do you enjoy this long-range FPV? I mean, it, I, 
I don't hear you talking about going on into missions where you're losing video anymore. It's like it was a one and done for you, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, I I still do mission flying, uh, but since then, I think I never made uh, any. Um, how can I explain that? I would do it again, uh, like these extreme long range mission out of my uh, out of my link range, for example. But then the plane has to be in uh, a very good shape. It has to be tested, of course. I have to know how long it can fly. The weather conditions have to uh, have to be okay. Um, but currently, when I do long range, I usually fly from a new spot I found last year where I'm at a 120 meter high hill, so I can see over all the flatlands. I don't have to fly that high. And from there I have our ceiling so far, so uh, I don't really need to make it uh, as a mission flight. It was back then it was just a waypoint mission because I had no car at this point. So I had to, I had to, to launch uh, in, a, in a city park area where I can go out without flying over residential areas. And that was the reason why I used that mission because I couldn't look above the uh, hill about seven kilometers away or so. Yeah, so. But nowadays I, I prefer to keep my RC link, of course. <laughs> And that's the thing. I mean, a lot of the, when people think of, of long range FPV, this is something that you have to be, this has to be in your DNA because it's not something you just do kind of like, this is something you take very seriously. For the most part, people don't do that. Most part, there's just, I mean, there is a, a long range FPV community, but they're the minority of the FPV community. Most of us like to fly for 20 minutes. After 20, 25 minutes, you're starting to like, the goggles are getting hot and I want to get this off now. And you know, you're done with the flight. Yeah, and you, you have to be ready to lose that plane. You have to yeah. be okay with it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, even if everything goes according to plan, there's still a 50% chance that something is going to go wrong. There's some interference somewhere. There's, you know, you blow an ESC. You, I mean, let's face it. These are not exactly the highest quality manufactured uh, military spec parts here. I mean, even if everything goes well and you maintain link and, you know, you fry a shunt resistor, uh, you know, nine kilometers out or your ESC fries, uh, for whatever reason, even at, at three or four amps, it's not coming home. I mean, yeah. e e even if everything is fine with the hardware, uh, I, I've seen, uh, I think it was one and a half years ago or so, like, la or, or last spring, uh, there was a guy uh, who was uh, in another uh, German group, uh, Facebook group, uh, he flies long range usually in a way, usually in a way that he uh, constantly climbs all the way out. He never stops climbing until his battery is like, let's say, three point five volt or so uh, on, on on a lipo. Or if he flies lithium iron, he goes down to three point one volts. Uh, the reason for that constant climb is that. If he reaches the maximum distance, he just cuts the motor, turns around, and glides the whole whole way back, like 15 kilometers glide or so. Glide or so. <laughs> Easy. Uh, the problem he had then was uh, his battery, I think he flew with lithium iron, was at 3 volt per cell. And uh, his uh, return to home settings were set to max altitude because he was also flying between mountains sometimes. And what happened, 
his radio battery went empty. So the battery, the, the radio turned off. Aina starts into fail safe, goes full throttle into a climb. The voltage drops, fly, uh, flight controller resets, and the plane crashed out of a few kilometers altitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> when happen. you thought you thought of everything. Yeah. Murphy and shows it, up. It, and it wasn't <laughs> even a hardware failure at this point. <laughs> yeah, the thing I idea when I first get the planes set up and I, I test them is the one thing I think about is how far do I want to walk when we have to go pick this plane up? So <laughs> if I don't want to walk <laughs> a couple kilometers away, I'm, uh, I keep it close to home. <coughs> so I have confidence. Well, guys, I think we're going to take ourselves a three-minute break. So everyone, please hang in there with us. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to Wing Talk. I just learned that three minutes is actually 180 seconds, not 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the second hour of Wing Talk, and um, let's see. Uh, I have no idea what we're talking about the rest of the show, so this could be a fantastic show. Um, Mark, I wanted to, you wanted to bring up something about a bug or something like I oh, know. Yeah. Yeah, there's one point. Uh, by the way, I think the uh, topic for the second hour could be, or part of the second hour could be the long-range topic. We just started it, so uh, yeah, maybe okay. it's a good point where we can uh, continue. But uh, there's one thing. Uh, we have seen a lot of posts in the uh, fixed-wing group and also in the INAF uh, Facebook group with the config change bug, where you have this uh, hardware LPF to 101, the accelerometer low PF filter to 102, and I think to, uh, heading hold uh, rate to 101 also. Right. Um, very likely is that uh, the cause of the bug was found by the developers after over a year, <laughs> finally. Uh, one user found out to reproduce it, and it was actually a bug caused by the configurator and not double-checked by the firmware. So, um, yeah, that was found and hopefully fixed in the INAF code and configurator code now. So with the next INAF version, this bug should be history. So no config changes anymore after uh, using the command line of the configurator. So that bug was, a, as I understood it, that was the bug, same bug that reflashed your flight controller as well, or reset it to defaults? No, the default reset thing is a completely different story. We thought for a while that it could be correlated because uh, there is a sanity check of the configuration and if it finds too many errors, this could cause the complete config to reset to defaults. Um, but in this case, uh, it was constantly only these three values that were changed. And uh, the reason for that was some uh, mismatch uh, in a specific configurator state. The configurator couldn't see or couldn't read the MSP protocol version of the flight controller. So mm. it assumed that it's MSP 1.0 and then sends a wrong command to the flight controller that the flight controller interprets as a command to change these three values. And this was causing uh, the actual bug, but it has nothing to do with the uh, complete config wipe. But then the one thing we d we've learned about this particular bug was that, because, um, yeah, I actually lost the plane because of this bug, but the one thing that, I, that uh, we've learned about it was that things that save, uh, such as uh, the auto continuous auto trim or 
the stats or something like that. If you completely write to your EEPROM over and over again for the flight or at the end of every flight, this was more likely to cause the bug? Um, yes and no. Uh, we know that the uh, config wipe happens more often since INA 3.0, uh, but at the moment the developers think that it has nothing to do with the uh, amount of config writes, like with the auto trim, uh, but more with the um, small available storage and the stability of the um, of the onboard BECs for the processor. So it could be that there are, at least that's a theory. I think uh, Darren helped me, Pavel might have said that, I think, um, <laughs> in one of the uh, GitHub threads. Uh, he said that uh, if you, uh, yeah, if, if you uh, store data on the flight controller and while the data are stored, there is a can be a small ripple in the power source like from your ESC uh, beeps or whatever um, this can cause the uh, a complete memory corruption during the safe process and could trigger this hardware reset but at the moment they are still not able to re uh, to reproduce that reliably luckily we know that it only hap or mostly happens with uh, only two or three flight controller models um, and with mostly I mean maybe once a year or so for a single flight controller so it's it's not that critical uh, compared to the uh, config change thing that could uh, ruin your day if you don't have a smartphone or uh, a laptop with you in the field if you want to go fly because the the config wipe bug at least cannot make your plane crash uh, you just see you connect it okay you cannot do anything you have to uh, set it up from scratch or load back a backup uh, but the uh, config change bug sometimes you only notice when you try to arm your craft in the field out, uh, outside. So yeah, at least that one is fixed. So the thing that's interesting is that um, we had, um, for example, a couple of years ago, we I was had a plane that I'd like to fly in 2.4 gigahertz, and. So I was constantly hitting fail-safe with it. I'd fly to a point, I'd hit fail-safe, turn around, come back. I was fine with it. Then after a while, I started noticing that instead of going to fail-safe, it went to disarm. And this was, turns out to be, it was a disarm bug. And I, I saw it, and I, I think I mentioned something to Luke about it. And then a couple of weeks later, it happened again, and I had a good video of it, and I also had the, um, the log files in it as well. And... And I, I thought it was something I was doing wrong. And then some guy in Russia uh, says, hey, why is my plane disarming in the middle of flight? They shows a photo of, you know, a picture from his plane of OSD where he's seen, you've seen the disarm screen. He's up, you know, a few hundred feet up. And so I'm like, wait a minute, this guy's having the same problem. And I say, Mark, I've got a video of this. And it was really one of the more exciting times we've ever had, I think, in the group. All of a sudden, Mark and Darren are like on this. And next thing you know, they're talking to the developers. And the developers, like middle of dinner on a Friday night, are dropping everything. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is something that they found it. This is it. And we all got really excited about it. And that was, I think, really what brought our little core group here closer to the developers. And we started to 
doing a lot of really positive things from that. I mean, Mark, uh, if you really like iNav 4.0 uh, or 3.0, a lot of the configuration, the things, a lot of changes were things that Mark and Darren and, and Luke came up with and worked on together as far as making sure that this was something that was more, iNav is something that's more approachable for the average user. So. Marcus, yeah, and, I mean, uh, back in the days, uh, that was yeah, actually a free uh, FR Sky uh, protocol, protocol back of the uh, ACCST protocol, right. and um, basically, Betaflight uh, by accident was not affected, and Autopilot works also differently, so it was also not affected. It was it only affected INAF interestingly so uh, a long time uh, for that we we looked at the at the, on the, at the in the wrong direction we had to search for it uh, but yeah uh, luckily we found out uh, what causes it uh, and found workarounds and uh, i think with with uh, access then uh, they brought out a fix uh, with acc st it's still not fixed but in uh, i think the developers added a delay in enough uh, or change something with the disarm delay in INAF, so it shouldn't appear any uh, anymore. Uh, but with our OpenTX uh, preset models, for example, we have it fixed anyway because we just switched the arming switch direction or the arming channel direction, and then uh, it was no no problem anymore. But yeah, that was that was also a funny search, and basically that was exactly the time when I did my long range mission out of control range, because when I went close to the face safe position i had to turn off my radio or pull the module from my radio to make sure it doesn't go into face safe and reconnect from itself again because every time it reconnects it had a 20 percent ch uh, chance to get a channel glitch and switch out of mission mode and it would be a very very bad thing if that if that happens when i have no video anymore so when i get to the rsi range i pulled the module and when the when i had a stable signal back then i pulled push the module back in the radio and during that mission when i did that exactly at this point my plane uh switched out of the uh waypoint mode and i had to fly it back manually <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic yeah that's um um we're uh, yeah that i don't know it, it seems like when we think about inav right now in particular it always seems like Instead of adding new features, it seems like we're just kind of really cleaning it up and making it something that is, I think the average person who enjoys iNav looks forward to every new version of iNav because it gets a little bit better each time. I mean, um, Darren's constantly working on the configurator and he's got some really interesting things up his sleeve. I'm sure he's not ready to talk about yet, but he's testing them out and these things are, configurators can be even nicer. <laughs> yeah. uh, to, be to be honest, at the moment I've got nothing planned for configurator. <laughs> um, You're me the servo thing the other day. That's done. That's in. Yeah. That's merged. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's that's done. <laughs> so yeah, Darren, Darren, I think that's a that's a good chance. Uh, show can, can you show it? Do, do you have anything ready to share your screen or so, or so should I explain? Um, <laughs> or just want to explain it? Actually, one sec. Chat, chat amongst yourselves. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. That's it. Okay, Darren's getting himself a air wing ready. So yeah, this is um, 
We were just talking the other day that a lot of this, I didn't realize this, but the configurator is written in HTML and CSS. I just searched uh, why Darren is preparing. I just looked for the uh, for the pull request, where I think there is a nice video. Maybe we can show that. Yeah, um, yeah, it should it should be reasonably up to date. It, it, the colored boxes might not be there, but go go for it. I mean, we are to we are talking about the uh, the visual mixer icon, right? Mixer, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So yeah, ju just to to uh, already explain to the chat before uh, we just waiting here in silence, um, Darren make an, made a nice change in the configurator in the mixer. Uh, in the past, we only had the small um, box in the top right corner with a picture of a plane and some numbers on there where the servers should be. But what uh, the new thing will be in INA 5.0 is that if you add a server to the mixer the numbers on the image on the uh, upper right corner will actually change and it will show you what control surface has to uh, to be connected to which uh, flight controller as yeah s1 s2 s3 and so on this is a really co cool feature and uh, i think it will solve a lot of confusion uh, for new pilots I was really blown away. I was flashing an INAV 4.1 last night, and I realized that there's a search feature now in the uh, when, when you flash. So you can type in F405, and you can find your flight controller, whichever one that is, instead of going down the whole long list of all the different flight controllers. So that's kind of a, really a nice little add-on. I think that was INAV 4.0, 4.1 that came out. That might be free. No, uh, so no, the search feature was in INA 4.0. 4.0 flight controllers. Okay, yeah, the the search line where you can. In, it'll be even better in five, um, because now there, there was a, a thing that they make the uh, target names look pretty, so they get rid of one of the underscores in the target name. So if it's like a Matek um, underscore F405, the the first underscore they get rid of. So if you just copy the the version from the CLI and put it in that search box, it didn't find it, but I've, I've fixed that, so it will now, so it's going to be a bit better. Wait a minute, there might be some breaking news here. Darren said the word five. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, now that's 5 really breaking news. <laughs> it comes up. <laughs> <four. laughs> it's going to be a 4.2? Uh, I, I don't think so. Okay. You've, you've yeah. heard it here first. This is don't let it, it's just top secret. Don't let it, the word get out. But there's next INAV is going to be five. That means there's going to be some significant changes. That means you're going to have to, you can't copy your CLI and dump it into INAV 5.0. I mean, yeah, you, you, always, you always can. It's just not recommended because some settings might have changed or might work differently now. So you might get an error if you if you paste your diff or your, your dump into the new version. You, yeah. Anyway, you should always only use a diff and not a dump. That's right. uh, for for an update. The dump should only be used for backup reasons. Yeah, I go in there and I cut. One thing I don't know if you guys do this. I take the. Um, I'll put the. I'll do the mixture manually. I'll do that first, and then I'll cut that out the very top of the diff file. So I cut out the, I, the the where it's the no reboot. It's defaults space no reboot. Cut that out. Get rid of that. So, okay, we can go. Here we go. Oh, wait a desktop. second, I have to share the screen too. So okay. let's make this bigger okay. here. Are they seeing this in 
Yeah. Okay. Now yep. I'm sharing my screen. Yep. Okay. Right. So I thought I'd start with a multi rotor just to be completely different. Um, so if we go to airplane now, you'll notice that there's no numbers on it at all. Interesting. Um, because the mixer isn't actually loaded yet. But if we load the mixer, we get all the numbers up. The colors on the servo mixer, thank you, Charles, um, it is actually the same numbers as the surfaces. Wow, that's so add cool. a motor, it, ah, cool. I, I didn't actually test this on this flight controller, but this is one of those weird ones where the motors are on S1 and S7. So we get S1, S7 in the box. Um, oh, nice. We can actually swap these numbers around. And it will swap the servos around. It's all full ties in. So basically, this is all working off of this mixer table, which is what we should have been checking anyway. And it takes the information from that, puts it on that, and then on this. So yeah, it just makes everything yep. nicer. We did an aeroplane. Um, it obviously just adds those on there as well for the aeroplane. If we decide that we click on a flying wing but we're actually an aeroplane we can click the refresh button which will bring the aeroplane mixer back so yeah it works quite nicely but no more will we have problems where people are getting the wrong numbers because the diagram's wrong it's all yeah that that just proves the point right there what i like about it also you can the color coding with the um, tail and the uh the letter on this oh, yeah, yeah. So the color coding on here, um, all all this, all these boxes are actually generated. They're not on the image. When um, so the colors in the servo mixer table just match up to the actual control surface and the box Perfect. around the outside. Yeah, that's oh, that's so, amazing. So that's that's a sneak peek of what is coming in the next version. Yeah, and this is not only helpful if you want to uh, connect your servos, like uh, to know where which servo goes. Also, if you have a flying ring and you have to reverse a mixer or reverse a servo, you now know, okay, it's a left aileron that's going in the wrong direction. So I can look here what servo I have to reverse and I don't have to try and error. Yeah, yeah. You can just say, oh, I need to reverse the green one. So yeah. there we go. This This is really great. This flaps. is fantastic. No, no, Henrik. They weren't even flaps to begin with. That's gone. There was no flaps up here anymore. <laughs> uh, and did, actually, did, did, did they remove the uh, flapper run mode? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay, great, great. <laughs> um, actually, no, uh, what, if we look at uh, aeroplane, we would usually have a, a mode up there. Well, actually, that should that should really be not there for an aeroplane. That's a quad thing. We'll have to get that fixed. But yeah, um, where this motor reverse thing was, there was a flaps option. But it actually, all it did was enable the flapper on mode on the modes page. Uh, if we look in here, we can still add the flapper on mode, and the mode is in the modes page. So if people will still want to do it like that. They can. But if I go to a flying wing load mixer, add new mix, there's no flapper on in here. There's no flapper on mode on the modes page. It's all just automatic. There's no need for a button up there. But also none of the default mixers have the flaps already set. 
because to be honest most people just delete them anyway yeah so, um, um, Caroline Tyler C is asking uh, will motors on quartz be color coded to the outputs uh, no I've not done anything on quads at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't. And to, that's because I don't fly them. I don't know how they're set up in INAV, so I'm not the right person to work on it. Um, okay, so but, maybe maybe Pavel can look into it and uh, copy your system. Yeah, your... I mean to be honest, all that would really need to change, I guess, is the numbers. I, I don't really know, or maybe the di direction arrows. But um, yeah, I because I don't fly quads, I don't set them up I, I don't really do anything to do with quads at all interesting wow hey question i have for you um in one of your videos darren you're showing that uh, you can show how you can work inside the mixer and put in a lot of the things that you would have in your radio mixer into inav yeah it's, it's it basically is it's the same thing <laughs> So the question I have is, like, I was looking at, I know you're familiar with it as well, which was Ethos, where they have in the, um, one of the mixer tabs, you can licks, they just, you can put in all this stuff by pushing a button. Have we ever thought about doing something like that where you can start to do, like, uh, rudder mixing with uh, ailerons and things like that with INAV? Probably not, because all I mean in that particular case, it's just um, oh the word's completely gone now. It's um, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it it's uh, coordinated turns. That's what it is. Yeah. So um, INAV already has that sort of built in anyway. Um, you can turn on the turn assist if you wanted to use that. Um, uh, and a, a lot of what they do does you don't really need an INAV. I mean, they have the flaps mixes, um, but it's it's stuff that you really need to add yourself. I think in INAV, it's it's not really something that we need a button with loads of different options for. It's it's unlikely a lot of it would be used. Yeah, James James Omega is also asking in the chat. What about adding rudder to a four elevon differential spoiler mix? I think if we are or if you are doing so advanced stuff like uh, spoiler and butterfly mixes and all that stuff, uh, if you would include all that in the mixer presets, then this list would be like a thousand items long or so. I think that's uh, if if you do something that advanced by yourself uh you don't really need the presets anymore i really yeah, think the presets should only be for the most basic setups you know yeah. standard four channel plane a wing that's yeah know, like your v-tail yeah. i mean Absolutely. i'm guessing that a four the four aileron differential spoiler mix is for a full house glider so it's basically crow breaking which you can yeah. add separately differential you <clears> can <throat> have uh, where is it? You've got stabilized roll plus and minus, so you can have it over on the plus. It's 100% on the minus. It's you know 40% whatever, which will give differential. Um, so it's all in there, but yeah, it's 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 a specialized thing. It's not really something that will benefit a lot of people. Okay, and I mean. Uh, just be because uh, uh, Grumpy Old Nerd has uh, said about the missing uh, flaps option now. <laughs> um, I mean, if, if, if you think about it, you have uh, 
maybe very very small amount of people who actually use the flap mode or the flapperon mode um i think the flapperon mode is still there to use the um to use the ailerons as flaps uh, or as flapperons but uh, for dedicated flaps uh, you might have people who put them only on a switch to have them uh, retracted or extended uh, you might have people who want to have three position on a three position switch or um on a, slider, on, a on a slider for example <laughs> to have complete control over the uh, flap extension uh this won't work with the mo uh, with the mode anyway so it makes no sense to put a special flaps mixer in there you just say rc channel pass through and you're done and if you want to have some uh, automatic flap control you do that in programming anyway and then you can say how much you want uh, the flaps to be extracted so it makes no sense to put them here in the mixer as a special item no and and, and the old mixers um, I can't. I think I took that out in four, but before that, it, it was really. Oh, sorry, four point one, but it was really just flapperons. It, which you could actually turn it on on a flying wing. The button was still there. So this is why it's, it's now just automatic. So only platforms that have a tail can use the flapperons. Otherwise, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Uh, what what happens if you if you select a mixer with f oh you can, you cannot with flaps of course. <laughs> <laughs> but so so the, you you won't see the uh, image change like with flaps. You won't see them in the in the picture anyway. Even if oh, you well, select them. You won't see flaps here. No, no. It's yeah, it's yeah, just okay. for basic channels. The same as on the original mixes. Um, the other thing that I did change was every single mix that doesn't have differential thrust now only has one motor uh, because someone had a flight controller set up which only had three outputs and when but even though there were, there were only three outputs one motor and three servos having the second motor line actually stopped the motor working so now unless it says differential thrust they only have a single motor by default you can of course add, add an extra one um, yeah. And I added the VTOL with differential thrust too. So, and it's a, oh, and this is the best thing. You no longer have zero point two nine 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 minus zero. <laughs> that really bugs me. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's quite a few changes in the mixer to, yeah. just to make it nicer to use. Um, by the way, can you? Uh, I, I would just uh, t tell you why. But can you open your website with the new tool you just coded? Because um, yeah. right now, Les Leslie Yegen is uh, asking in the chat, could there be a database of CLI for programmable mixes for various models? Pilots can then copy and paste the various mixes and enter it into their CLI. Uh, for mixes, that wouldn't even be a big problem if someone makes a collection of that uh, in, in some kind of way. But uh, speaking of programmable uh, things, uh, Darren just worked on a nice new tool on his website uh, that allows you to move your programming lines, if you use the INAF programming feature, uh, to different starting positions. So like, let's say you, have, uh, you already have a VTX control. Let me share the screen at this point. Um, like you already have a v VTX control from line 1 to line 11 and you want to copy and paste a program that another user made for you, 
you can just use this pro uh, his program put it into this tool and say uh, you want to have this program to start at line 15 for example and it will automatically convert it so you can copy it to your iNav and it will just be attached to the uh, already existing uh, existing programming part yeah this so I've, I've just copied something in <laughs> just for the sake of it yeah uh, so i've just got zero to line five if we want to start at line 10 just put 10 update cli and then it starts at line 10 and all the references get updated as well so um the only thing that it doesn't do as far as logic goes is if you have logic conditions operating something in the mixer so you have to do that side of it manually um but yeah all this works for uh, programming or waypoint missions you can reorder those so especially for waypoint missions if you use the multi-mission feature of iNav where you can have multiple separate missions uh, stored on your flight controller and then you select them uh, with the index function and you can use this tool to just stack multiple missions uh, after one after after the other yeah yeah, or if you have a mission set out, you and your buddy want to fly at the same time, you can copy it between flight controllers. Uh, Daytona, yes, this uh, gray boxes sometimes. Uh, I also have this in uh, for me, so I think it must have something to do with the screen share in Skype. Uh, better. <laughs> No, no, all good, all good. It's just just occasionally, like the drop-downs in the configurator are not visible. They are just gray boxes for me here inside. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so this is about the new tools. Uh, That's, uh, great awesome. stuff coming. That's beautiful. And then, so we're still on for the summer for iNav. The next version of iNav, I don't I won't say 5.0, but the next version of iNav to come out. I mean, it, it will likely be 5.0, just because uh, there are some changes already in iNav uh, in the current uh, development state uh, that break compatibility with old configurations. Uh, so by the version uh, scheme, it will be 5.0, yeah. Let's so, Sean, uh, pa pa Pavel said something about a 4.1.1 or so, just a small bug fix release. I'm not sure if that's still on the on the schedule. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's there, there was talk of that, um, but I, it's not not happened yet. I mean, I suppose we're just coming up to April. Is, I think it's looking June, July, I think, for 5.0. What bugs so, would 1.1 fix? Uh, there was some, I think it was something to do with return to home uh, on multi-rotors. Ah, the, to the topic where the multi-rotor actually overshoots return to home and continues in the direction. Yeah, I've, I've seen a video about that. <laughs> yeah, it, on, under very special occasions, so uh, it's nothing, nothing special for us. Fantastic. Now, um, didn't one of the guys mention something about BTOL? I thought, Mark, you mentioned that for iNav at one point. Video, uh, yeah, I mean, you still can try to program it yourself. There's uh, Eric Schneidegger, I think, in the chat, uh, who said he is working on a Vito and want to fly it or want to test it soon. Um, wait a second, where's the message uh, he posted? That was uh, mentioning you, Darren, by the way. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, but... Um, 
there will be no official veto support in INAF. Uh, Pavel made that pretty clear, and there are still no plans to implement that. Well, I wouldn't say never. I'd just say it's uh, unlikely. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's it's just not on the schedule at this point. Uh, so it will not be in five O, and it will very likely also not be in six O. Maybe till then, uh, in a year or so, if, yeah, if a developer... If a developer turns up who is interested in VTOL, then yeah. there's no reason it can't go in. Maybe a guy who makes planes, who happens to be designing a VTOL, and who also <laughs> does programming for a career, um, who's a civil engineer, who happens to own a, 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 a foam company out of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested. I'd be interested. Um, yeah. Go ahead. It's on GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> it's in C. <laughs> yeah, time seems to be the issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wish yeah, it's one thing I've always wanted to get into, but I've just never been able to find the time. Have you? I mean, how successful, even with the autopilot uh, VTOL projects, how successful have they really been? Autopilot does VTOL. Pretty well. It's a pretty plug and play solution, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and there's a there's a lot of different configurations. So I mean, because VTOL yeah. can be anything from a tail sitter to you know, you know, tilt rotor. There's there's you know a lot of different possible configurations. Yeah, so um, I mean, I mean, the the most famous ones are, I think, tail sitter or complete quad motor tilt, where the front motor still down to give you thrust and level flight, for example. I have even seen a, a, a four tilt motor quad plane, so it basically uses four motors at the same time for thrust, two pusher and two uh, tractor setups. Mm. Yeah, like this. <laughs> you need to say something. That is, that's four tilt motors. <laughs> and two wings to boot so so wow. it is a it's a tandem wing four tilt motor yeah this has been a lot of fun and this is all fiberglass well so that's that's been uh, been having to learn all kinds of new stuff <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah and then Mark was then, talking about doing a veto as well at one point before it was on us. Yeah, luckily I finally got one step further. I still have my Sky Hunter racing up there, <laughs> but still only the naked frame. But uh, I think I have a complete set of motors now, maybe even enough ESCs, and I just got an, uh, let's that, see, 765, uh, I got an F405 uh, ring flight controller uh, for, uh, let's say, nowadays good price, <laughs> 50 euros for a used one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two years ago I bought them for less, uh, but brand new. Uh, anyway, uh, I have a flight controller now, uh, I might only get some more servos because I need some of these very, very tiny uh, Vortex servos. I will get some more. Uh, I'm not sure if I have enough of them. Of them, And then I could f maybe finally start to build the MicroVTOL project. And I want to try that with iNav. Uh, let's see how that goes with the programming and all that and the custom pit. I never used that custom pit controller before. 
And uh, yeah, if if it doesn't work out for me, then uh, I will just smash autopilot on that and make a tiny little VTOL that's about maybe 350, 400 gram or so uh, total weight. It would be interesting uh, how that goes. I, I don't need... Uh, my, my biggest pr problem right now... Let me get the uh, My biggest problem still is... Um, my first idea was to make a two-axis tilt motor here in the back where I can uh, have a tricopter setup for hovering and then, oh uh, wait, it has to point down and then just tilt it backwards to give thrust for level flight and keep these motors here on the rings then uh, fixed but then I decided to make this one tilt only for uh, hovering and the, or maybe even a fixed one and then use the ring-mounted motors that are at the front and connect them with the uh, uh, um, with the aileron servos. So if the motors are pointing up, the ailerons will be all the way down. And yeah, so uh, wait, so you can see that better. They will be all the way down if the motors point up. And then if I level out the motors for forward thrust, they will level out, and uh, I will have basically thrust vectoring on the uh, ailerons and aileron control so it should be very agile at this point i hope that works <laughs> yeah, that's one thing i'm doing is the the motors when i'm in a hover my yawing i actually tilt the motors for yaw which great gives an amazingly crisp uh yaw control which is you know notoriously bad on a VTOL. Yaw is usually bad on a VTOL. You've got, you know, all these big fixed structures, the rudder, yeah. you know, you get weather veining with the wind and everything. But if you've got, like in this case, I've got four motors and when they're, you know, when I want a yaw, I just tilt two forward and two backwards on the other side and this thing will just spin around a little circle. Yeah, and, and that was my, that was the the reason why I had that idea to make these motors uh, separately tilted with the with the ailerons because then I just have to have a fixed uh, upward pointing motor here in the back, and I don't need extra servos. I I control everything just with these two servos and the elevator, and uh, yeah, I hope I hope that uh, works. I could even use the uh, back motor slightly tilted just to offset the propeller torque. Right. by design so the other ones can just be completely level and uh yeah use them for the yaw control yeah and that yaw control is tough on a on a quad you know on a VTOL. yeah so. you, you also have uh, one of the planes we haven't discussed yet it's like the ranger uh it's a twin motor small little plane the renegade renegade you have one close by oh look at this so this is, this was a fun project. This came about with um, Andre Russo from the uh, the FT After Hours podcast. We were talking when, uh, when COVID started and people weren't able to get out and fly at the parks and stuff. We came up with a contest. Um, it was called the Yard Class Challenge to try and get people while they're stuck at home with COVID to start thinking about designing a small plane that they could fly in their own backyard. So we we started this Instagram contest, hmm. uh, gave everybody a couple of months to come up with a plane, and then we picked a winner. And um, I sent a couple of wings off to the winners, and uh, Master Airscrew donated some props. And 
but this was uh, my version of it. Um, and this is all up weight with the battery is under is sub 250. Jeez. It's running, um, we're running a pair of 1406s or 1407 motors, five inch props, a big uh, under camber wing on it. And this thing literally flies in your backyard. I mean, it, you can almost run faster. Um, I actually have flapper ons on this. And uh, this is a great little plane. It's, uh, it's a $50 kit. It's, you know, three little servos, and it's good to go. I run... Um, that looks like Mark's kind of thing right there. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun because you can fly through gaps really well. You got differential thrust. You can do. You can fly 3D with it. You know, fly it around doing, you know, inverted pirouettes or whatever you want to do. Flies great. It's durable. It's EPP, but it's not laminated. You can see. I mean, it's mostly glue. I have broken this plane in half, maybe half a dozen times. Glued it back. It's still good to go. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun, but. You know, I, I got a couple of pilots that will put like a, a big VTX on it and then th uh, throw crossfire and a couple of uh, 2S lithium ion pack and fly at long range. You know, and they're, I mean, with a 2S 800, I can get 15 to 20 minute flight out of this. They're getting like 30 minute flights, you know, flying on the beach. Jeez. So this has been. Yeah, this is the most most fun you can have for the money. It's it's absolutely a blast. It's a great plane to learn to fly line of sight on because if you get into trouble, you just cut the throttle and it will just land itself. So it's it's great for that. I mean, I fly it out doing hovers and it's got plenty of power. Um, but I mean, you can run these big props on these little motors because you never get past half throttle because I don't care what motors you have on it it's not going faster than about 35 miles an hour no matter how much power you throw at it you know it they'll start to shake and wobble and so it's a great slow flying plane but um i've got a lot of interest in a larger version of this people have dubbed it the, the renegade xl so i don't know i may look into it, it the last thing i need is another product um <laughs> Number ten, <laughs> right? Number ten. But the guys are, the guys are pushing me, and uh, so this is the wing that I'm working on. Wow! So okay. it's good. This is a 48 inch, so it'll probably be in the 42 to 48 inch range. The current Renegade is a 24 inch. So yeah, twice so, the size. This may end up being something where, you know, a couple of twin 22 millimeter motors, uh, you know, 2206s or, or maybe up to 2212s or something. But, you know, that it's everybody wants a twin now. It seems like uh, people are pushing for twins. So yeah, I've got a lot of pressure in the group for twins, for a big twin. So we'll see. It's that's been strange. That's only been like the last two years that the twins suddenly became popular. Twins are hot right now. What can I say? 
Yeah. It's it's funny. I, I have a feeling that the uh, the Alba Broad basically started that twin motor hype in the in the community. Although uh, some people, was it the Alba? I know that was this uh, the Sonic model that was uh, more or less hated oh, a little bit. The binary, yeah. The binary yeah. was hated about its stall characteristics, in, especially in sharp turns. But yeah, I think the, the binary and the uh, Iberbird, that were the planes that started all that twin motor hype, and then they spread it out to smaller and bigger ones, uh, where they get more and more famous. Yeah, I mean, I, I only have one twin motor, but uh, after I now have hard-mounted a 1.8 kilogram battery in that, I want to take it over here to show. <laughs> to show again. It, it, it wouldn't even fit uh, in, in the camera view, maybe one ring or so. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, your clouds. When you want yeah. to go overboard. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I built this at, at feet meet this year just to have a plane to build. And uh, I was able to find a, a small quad flight uh, uh, six and one ESC. It yeah. actually has a small flight controller. Gosh. And this is easier just. Uh, <laughs> this is Luke's language. Look like at this. <laughs> 7,000 KV, like 1102s or something, you know, 1002s. But it's just based on a, a, a fat renegade body and a different wing. But it was fun. It was something to play with. It, Luke. You know, it kept me busy all weekend. Look at yeah. that. Is that that's, your, that's your speed right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I'm quite interested. In I've already searched six in one ESCs. I'm like, yeah, who it was? Two foreign ones. Uh, it's a Goku board. So that's what? Flywoo? Okay. Yeah, I found it. It it came as a combo, a six and one ESC and a and a twenty millimeter flight controller as a combo. Oh yeah, I found it. Goku Hex, thirteen now, six and one. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> not not overly efficient or, you know, very practical cool. for any reason other than it looks cool and it sounds pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go a whole lot, the, the motors will go a whole lot faster than the frame will. In fact, that was one thing I was worried about, that the motors might take off across the field and leave the airframe. Yeah, <laughs> Luke has experience, experience with that. Yeah. <laughs> by, the, by the way, speaking of speed planes, uh, Luke, what, what about your uh, 250G speed plane uh, record? Will you, will you continue that? Nothing has happened for about the last year or so, uh, just because I've been so busy with work, uni, uh, and mostly uh, I had so much more space. Uh, since COVID kind of finished here, all my housemates have moved back in and I'm back to only having one room, uh, <laughs> which becomes quite a problem uh, when you try Excuses, <laughs> always excuses. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> so this is this is the turnaround point. Uh, if everything goes to plan, hopefully in June, uh, I've already started looking or started, you know, uh, planning it out. In June, I'm going to be moving into a new house, and I'll have two rooms: a bedroom and a big uh, build room. Uh, so I'll finally be able to get, yeah, be able to get back to doing some of that stuff. And of course, uni finishes in June, so. Should be able to uh, crack on with that stuff again. Very much looking forward to it. 
But I, I, I must say uh, that's the right way to look at priorities. Uh, if you have a small bedroom <laughs> and your second room you have and it's big, yeah, it's your third room. That's the right yeah. way how to set yeah, priorities. The house I'm looking at, uh, I, I would be renting for a friend. Uh, and the bedroom is three meters by three and a half meters. So, you know, an okay size bedroom. And the build room would have been the living room. Uh, or what is currently the living room, and it's six meters by four meters. So that should be pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah, it's just you get your priorities sorted out. Exactly. I have my priorities exactly how I need to be. Uh, I'm going to be sharing, or I'm going to be, I'm going to have a housemate, uh, and he's having the other two smaller rooms. But I'm really, you know, wondering if I can stretch to paying a larger share and getting three rooms. Then I can have a dedicated room just for doing the uh, layout stuff, calm private stuff. Like that. <laughs> no, I'm not sure my expense can go quite that far. That's a single man right there. <laughs> yeah. well, ironically, not. But yeah, probably for a while too. <laughs> the, the thing that you got to keep in mind also is like, um, you know, what we have in Massachusetts. You live in the west coast of Massachusetts, right? The western half. West, of the western side of West Massachusetts, not the yeah. north coast, right? But, um, so, you a town of 6,000 people? Correct. All right, so real estate, like, what does a typical house go for in that, like, a three-bedroom, two-bath house? <sighs> Boy, I don't, I mean, the market's been all over the place, so, three-bedroom, two-bathroom, you're probably looking at, you know, depending on the house, three fifty to 400000 Right. Okay, yeah, that's, that's $1.2 here. And that's yeah. probably the same in the UK and, you know, especially where these guys live in Portsmouth. Yeah. Uh, Portsmouth isn't too bad. Probably about the same as in Massachusetts, I guess. Uh, like, the, particularly the house I'm looking at, it's uh, a flat, so it's quite a bit cheaper. And that's 250 uh, And it's two, uh, a living room, a bigger bedroom, and two smaller bedrooms. Uh, one bathroom without actually a bath, it's just a shower. Uh, yeah, and that's two fifty. Two hundred fifty thousand pounds for to buy the place. Yeah, I'm not buying it, obviously, but yeah, that's what it was on the market for. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's so probably comparable to this coast or where I am, anyways. If you mm -hmm. head east, south towards Boston, yeah, you know the prices out in the Boston area are probably closer to what you're looking like looking at on the west coast. And New York, yeah, because mm -hmm. Boston's real similar to New York as far as yeah. it's a, kind of a tighter little community. It's not that big. So, yeah, it's uh, and, and everyone wants to live near the coast as well, no matter where in the United States. You always want to live closer to the coast. So it's, Cape Cod, I mean, down on the Cape is ridiculous. You want something near the water, forget it. You have to be a Kennedy to live in Cape Cod. Yeah, you know, two, three million dollars. Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's it's, it's insane, absolutely. So, um, speaking of differential, of living in different places, um, a lot of people are in our group live in different places. A lot of people live in Europe and stuff like that. And some of them are probably jonesing for a plane, like a you know one of the fifty twos or one of those uh, the, the Renegades or something like that. Maybe a Sprite. What is you do ship out to Europe and all over the world, right? Yes. Yep. In fact, I. Uh, 
last couple of weeks have been a pretty good run on international. Um, I, Paris 63s went to the Netherlands. Um, a 52 and a 42 two weeks ago went to Australia. And before that, a couple of 52s went out to Scotland. So, wow. yeah, I mean, I ship, like I said, I've, I'm in about, I haven't looked lately. I think it's about 18 countries. Um, shipping, you know, shipping can be a nightmare. Uh, it depends on the country. Um, I ship USPS. Most of everything now goes, uh, anything that I ship international goes global post. So, <clears throat> uh, that, you know, there's, it's reasonable. So let's see, uh, the two sixty threes that got. I mean, it's a, it's two sixty three, so it's a big box. It's a I forget how big. You know, it's a it's a big box, and the sixty threes are out of that one point nine pound foam, so they're heavy. I forget it was maybe a nine pound box. And that was seventy five dollars to send to the Netherlands. Wow, that's not too bad. Well, it's not. If you consider, I mean, a single really 63 good, to the West Coast is probably 40 bucks. So, you know, they actually they actually ended up better off than me shipping one to California, you know, because it was 70, 75 bucks for two 63s. That's, you know, 35, 37 dollars each. What's a what's a 53 typically shipping to the West Coast go for? Jeez, uh, I. Well, I wish I I'd sent one out to my buddy, Nate. He bought one. I want to say that that went ground, and that was probably in the $30, $35, 30 range. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. That, sounds, that sounds good. Yeah, well, the thing I would suggest is that um, when you're looking at it, I have a feeling like that 52, the thing you might want to consider doing is cutting out 10 of them at once. Because uh, just, I have a feeling that a lot of people, you know, I, there's not 250 people who want to buy a mini drag, but I think there might be about 10 people who'd be interested in buying that plane. Yeah. And I know of a couple people already. So you might want to think of uh, just making like a set of 10 of those and making those available. Yeah, I just, just got an order. So for me, international orders... If anybody is interested and they want to order in their international, my website won't handle international shipping. So international orders are done through email on the site or instant message through Facebook or Instagram or however you want to get a hold of me. But the website doesn't handle the international shipping. So domestic orders go through the website. International is direct. Um, and that. That works. That works pretty well because you know if we need to look at different shipping options and things like that, uh, I'm happy to work with people to try and minimize uh, the expense as much as possible. Um, I just got an order. My uh, buddy of mine out in Netherlands that just bought the two 63s just ordered six 28s. So I'm going to be cutting a bunch of 28s and trying to fit them into the smallest box I can possibly fit them into. I mean, what could go wrong? They're foam, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, 
One thing, too, that I want to mention is that all the wings that I cut because of the intricacies and the geometry and the wings that I've spent a lot of time putting the right twist in, I ship all the wing beds so that you can build them on the beds so that you don't take all that twist out that I've spent so much time trying to get in. Um, So, you know, sometimes shipping... The boxes are a little bit bigger because the wing beds are in the box as well. Right. But the, what we found is that that really protects the shape of the wing during shipping because they're packed in their cores. They're never going to twist on you in shipping. And then you can build on them when you're building and laminating to make sure that the wings don't twist on you at all. So you get a, a perfect wing shape when you're done building because the beds are there to support the wing through the whole process. Shipping these wire-cut wire-cut wings is uh, even a big advantage for the uh, overseas customs because you can say you just ship ship, shipping material. (laughs) Right, if they open it up, I mean, it's just a bunch of materials, foam, right? Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea what's in there. That's smart, actually. Yeah. I want to talk to some of the guys because I'm going to be seeing all my homies in the next week here in Southern California and see if I can get together enough of uh, some people to order some of these planes. Maybe you can send us out a care package to California. Sure. sure. That'd be awesome. I, I, think, um, I think the Lost Wing guys are down in your neighborhood. Um, yeah, I think San Diego. Yeah, I think they're, well, somewhere down there. I know they're Southern California as opposed to the North. Yeah, Lost Wing. Uh, yeah, Alan Strum was talking about these guys. Uh, there's like a four or five of these guys. They all yeah. fly together. And there's a guy who videos them. Follow, that's Alan. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're big on low and slow. And they, they've got some great, um, some great videos of them flying uh, on, a, you know, standing up on the cliff over the ocean and just flying along over the surf. Um, Stu, uh, Mr. Virus Guy does a lot of the t-shirts, the hand-cut block ink t-shirts. They used to they used to buy a bunch of wings from me, and now one of the guys in the group is actually cutting their own wings. So they're um, they're making their own wings that are designed specifically for the type of flying that they do. So I have a forty-two. I have two 42s. I have the standard edition, which is the 1.9 foam. And then I have the lost wing edition of the 42, which is the 1.3 pound foam. And that drops, you know, going to the 1.3 drops about 300 grams, I think, on the overall weight. So they like to go uh, very light, um, very small setups, light batteries. They won't paint They'll use uh, packing tape instead of laminate. So they go very light with their builds and they get down and they fly in tandem, you know, five feet off the ground doing 25 miles an hour chasing each other through the trees. And so it's just a different type of flying. So they, they really fine tune the design of their wings to match their flying style. Interesting. Yeah, the the one point nine pound. I would imagine when that fifty two is probably it's probably very stable, and then yeah. taking off weight is not always a good thing. You want kind of want the balance for a larger plane like that. Yeah. It, it again, it all depends on what you want to do with it. Yeah. You know, you, and that's what's kind of nice about these style of the wire cut 
you know, you can really, once you get all the components, you can build it as heavy or as light as you want, depending on your flying style. Um, I've got some customers that go bare bones and go really small setups and want to go really light because they want to fly at 15 miles an hour. Oh, that's the other question I had for you. You said in your website you've also cut the bays out for people. Depends. It depends on the wing. Like the 52, I, it comes in either solid core or pre-cut. Same for the 42. Yep. Interesting. Uh, and I cut a big bay. I mean, that's so the one behind me is the standard setup. So this comes this comes from the pre-cut battery bay, which is a nice big battery bay. Wow. Uh, I can get a you know big you know a big uh, sixty six hundred flat pack in there. And then it comes with the electronics bay. This needs a little, ESC needs a little help, but there's a, an electronics bay in the back. And those will come pre-cut if you choose the pre-cut option. Otherwise, it just comes as a solid center core. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got the, these are printed uh, camera mounts. So this one's set up for the GoPro uh, Hero, but there's one for the session also. There's TPU, uh, all the files or in the file section on the website. So if you have a printer, uh, pretty much everything that I print. You, you, you include a laminate too, right? Or do yes. They... Yep. Uh, this is lam this one's laminated, but I don't paint. I use monocoat. Okay. So I, I laminate um, a bare white wing, and then I monocoat over the top of the laminate. Um, part of that is because I hate painting. Part of that is because uh, everything I fly is a prototype, and when I'm prototyping, I don't take the time to put paint on it before I get it in the air, and then I don't want to relaminate something. So I started monocoating over the top, and now I just like the way it comes out. Uh, they come out very clean. They're easy to keep clean, and if you decide you want to change the color of the plane, you rip the monocoat off and put another coat on. You don't have to worry about pulling the laminate off. Plus, it's lighter than paint. How do you cut the bays out? Do you use a Dremel or do you do it with a hot wire somehow? Uh, when I pre-cut them, they are cut as part of the cutting process. So oh, the wings, so you, do you do it as like a protocol section? Yep. Okay, yeah, of course, yeah. That's why I don't pre-cut the cheeks, you know, the bays and the cheeks of the wing. Yeah. Uh, you know, down on the wings because there's really no way for me to cut them in the hot wire. So how do you cut those bays? Do you do those with a Dremel or similar? Yeah, I, d I do them with a Dremel. Hmm. Uh, usually, unless it's something really thick like this, then what I'll do is I'll just use a, a big razor knife. And oh, okay. I'll, yeah. I'll cut all the way through. And then I supply ABS plastic for the battery bay floors. So I'll cut all the way through. And then glue the ABS onto the bottom. And that way you get the maximum thickness for your batteries to get yep. them down in. And you get a nice hard plastic floor on it. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I've always done the, you know, cut into little squares and put it out with pliers method. But that's a bit of a pain. I was wondering if you had a, a better way to do it. And actually, that cutting all the way through and putting a, a hard sheet on the bottom actually does sound like quite a good idea. Yeah, so the, the other thing you can do with that, too, is you can cut it all the way through the bottom hmm. and then pull the block off yeah. and then cut 
slice the oh, bottom slice of the and block back up in. and then just glue it back in. Okay. That works too. And it, it, it saves a lot of time compared to plucking all that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not going real deep, I'll just use a Dremel because it gives you mm. a you know, really nice, precise cut. Yeah. But if you're going two and a half inches through a wing, that Dremel will that will t end up taking a lot longer. So yeah, yeah. just go ahead and cut with a big knife. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you got space in there for a flight controller, it looks like. Especially I like got space in there for a couple. <laughs> <laughs> GPS, whatever you want. Uh, I mean, you take this 52 and you put you, you put 10,000 milliamps in the in the cheeks. You know, and that gives you that whole center bay for whatever you want. You know? um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of times on the bigger wings, I'll put the batteries in the cheeks. This one, I just put it in the middle to save time when I was prototyping. But you can put them in the cheeks and then that leaves that middle bay open for a flight controller. You could fit a, you know, you could fit a full Pixhawk in there. Uh, there's plenty of room. And... Um, you know, 10,000 milliamps on that. If you just want to cruise, you'll be tired of flying before the batteries are dead. Um, you know, the, some of the guys I fly with are big on, you know, the long range tandems. And yeah, I got to, the guys will go up with a pair of 63s and somebody will join them with a big drack or something. And yeah. then the guy in the drag will have to land and change his batteries out. And the other guys will just wait for him and then he'll come back up and they'll keep flying. And they're very efficient. Uh, if you're just, you know, the 63s, the 66 is the twin version of the 63. Um, those things, if you're just out cruising on a long range cruise, you can spend a lot of time in the air. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. What's great is that, you know, we can see having you on the show today is really great because we can hear the enthusiasm you have towards the hobby and how connected you are with the people who actually own the planes. So, you know, it's like uh, we we're talking about a company that we both bought foam from in the past that went out of business. And yep. it was kind of like the guy who owned the place didn't really want to super talk to you after he bought something from him. <laughs> Well, that's, that's why I did this. Um, yeah. I mean, it was never a goal to make tons of money off it. And trust me, if you're hot wire cutting wings, it's, you know, there are a lot easier ways to make money than uh, you're not going to get rich off it. And right. it was really a way for me to do what I enjoy doing, which I'm more of a builder than I am a flyer anyways. I mean, I, I, I love the build part of it, but it let me design build and connect with the guys who fly and you know you've seen that you're a member of the group it's not a huge group but people put their footage up and they're they're very enthusiastic and you know they like the wings i like hearing about it their stories um seeing their videos and i'm, I'm you know i constantly am putting any new build you know becomes the banner of the of the group you know it's really a group hobby and uh that's why i did this it wasn't i don't want to go off and 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 wholesale boxes to some distributor somewhere who's going to have the contact with the end customer um anything i sell is sold directly through my website i have the contact with the customer 
And that's that's what I enjoy. I like meeting up with people from different parts of the world, different countries who have different ideas of how they fly and they have different supplies available, different motor manufacturers and ESCs and things like that. And I like solving those problems and helping them come up with configurations and stuff. Um, it's not about, you know, if it were just about me coming down here and filling boxes and shipping boxes, I'd have been done three years ago because, you know, after a day of work, having dinner with my family and spending the rest of the night in the basement and in the cutting room with a full respirator on and, you know, that's not my idea of fun. So uh, if it was just boxes, I'd have been done a long time ago. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole point of this hobby is like, and where people, when you think about, especially like INAV, when you get a bunch of guys together, you talk to someone and you say, I fly RC, and the first thing they'll say is, you fly drones? And you're like, no, I fly planes. And like, ah. Then yeah. you get all the plane pilots together and you say, hey, let's put a computer on and it flies so far away you can't see it anymore. And you say to 100 guys, and 97 said, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? And three are like, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. I'm totally in on that. Um, so we're a really small community is when it comes to INAV. Even though we have, boy, this week, our 8,000th member, um, we are still just, you know, it's there's not enough of us around the world to really... You know, here in Southern California, I mean, it takes me 45 minutes to drive to the next INAV guy. And that's, this is a huge market. So, yeah, we're, but that's how the group all started with the INAV fixing group. We were just a bunch of guys. I mean, literally, I had no idea how to fly an INAV plane. So I started the group, hopefully that we can, like, maybe get a few of us together and get some ideas going how to do that. And I really anticipated the group would have 200 members. And we'd share videos. That would be it. I mean, it would be something small and nothing that big. And then the first day, we had 250 members. It took off. But it was really – we what we try to do with the group is still try to keep it small and hands-on and have people who are enthusiastic about the hobby, you know, sharing ideas with each other and bouncing ideas off of each other. And it, it, what's interesting is, like, we'll have someone like you come on and, like, no one's ever heard of a, a one or two guys in the group mentioned Defiant Wings. And then about a month from now, you'll see that 52 show up on the group. And then all of a sudden, there'll be, like, over the summer, it'll be, like, five or six guys with those. Or, you know, the smaller planes, uh, the 28s. Uh, that's a, that's a no-brainer whatsoever. That's just... Yeah. So... This I'm, is, seeing, I'm seeing guys with the, the Renegade now that are flying them with the DJI on them. And um, a couple of guys are putting INAV on them, you know, yeah. on, the, on the little Renegade. God, that's, yeah, that looks like that's the kind of thing that Mark would do if he only had this, enough space for another plane. <laughs> yeah currently it's definitely uh, there's no room for anything more. I even might uh, think about getting rid of some <laughs> i mean we, yeah. we had the, we had the uh, discussion before uh who has the all his planes and i have sold two planes uh since i started the hobby uh, one was a dart 250g and one was the uh long range ar 900 but i still have the same models here so i never got rid of any model i uh, ever got so yeah it's piling up 
That's the thing about Anyav. These planes come back, and as long as you don't land them in a tree or something like that, they, they stick around for a long time. And I, I think the hobby, when I look at, uh, let's just say that I fly with a bunch of guys who fly with those um, hobby store wings, uh, planes, and so if a plane lasts six months, they're usually selling it or trading out to somebody for something else. You know, it's a completely different side of the hobby. So, well, yeah, and I, I think part of that is that a lot when you're buying some of those planes, the your investment is monetary. It's a capital investment. When you're buying something like these kits and you're spending, you know, a week or two building or some guys spend a month building, I mean, you really could build one in a weekend. Your investment is not only that capital investment, but it's an investment in your time, uh, an investment in the build. And a lot of times people will hold on to them longer because they have more invested, not just the monetary capital investment, but an investment in their time and their effort uh, and their, you know, their creativity. They painted them. They really, you know, I've got a buddy that that. Um, his wife has a um, one of those cricket vinyl cutters. Oh yeah, and, you know he's a big Iron Maiden fan, and his wife cuts him. You know all the Iron Maiden decals, and he's got the you know got them all done with Iron Maiden uh, decals and and vinyl and everything. And he's spent a lot of time, and he's got it exactly the way he wants it. And <laughs> there you go. And he's gonna he's gonna hold on to he's never gonna sell one of those, you know. You know, that's that's a part of him now. He's put the effort in and and you know. And he's he's actually the closest guy to me. He only lives about twenty minutes away from me, and he's the guy I usually go out and test all my crazy designs with. Um, but he you know, he's got pretty much one of everything I have and, and he has a lot of fun with it. His wife hates me because, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask, all the planes on your website, um, are they um, your test pilot's planes or are they just your planes or photos that people have sent in? Because some of the, the artwork, like I'm looking at like the, the Defiance 63 page. The and 63. Like the, top, the top one's got, I don't know, it's a, a vinyl wrap or whatever, but I've seen airbrushed planes on there and there's a lot of time invested in these in these models. And it is. they're either going to be really, really um, careful with them or they crash really well and don't break anything <laughs> to spend that amount of time on them. But they, they look awesome. They crash really well. Um, <laughs> no, they, they crash really well. It depends. So like the airbrush ones, those are usually Kevin's. He goes crazy with the airbrush and, and you know, the eyes and, you know, and it's it's a personal expression of the pilot. You know, it's the Iron Maiden decals. Well, he doesn't paint well, so he has somebody cut him on a cricket. Kevin likes to do the, the, uh, the airbrushing. Uh, the 63 you're looking at is Tom McCullough's, and he has, um, he has uh, somebody make the vinyl wraps for him. Uh, that's the Vinyl Ninja. Uh, he's down in Pennsylvania, but he'll cut... He has the, the um, I think he has templates for most of my wings now. So guys will come up with an artwork 
send him the artwork and he'll do a vinyl wrap for them for the size wing. Damn. And then once they laminate it, they'll just put the vinyl over the top. We got to get to know this guy. <laughs> I know yeah, fixed wing group wrap. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, looks phenomenal. Yeah, so, I mean, some of them are, are amazing. And, and I don't know if you've, uh, the 52, I think, is just mine. But there's uh, another guy, Adam, who used, he used the cricket cutter to cut um, monocoat. And he pieced it together, and it's like a, a camouflage pattern, but it's these bright greens and blacks and oranges. It's absolutely amazing. And he cut out all those in, in uh, monocoat and then ironed them on in the right configuration. It's absolutely amazing. Wow. Well, that's oh, yeah. a high note to go out on. It, yeah. it, it becomes a, a, personal, a personal expression. You know, no no two wings in that group are the same. Um, and that's, again, that goes to part of that personal investment that people are, are making. That's why they hold on to these wings for four, five, six years, because, you know, they, they put a lot into it. It expresses them. And, um, you know, and they want to hold on to that. The uh, and the other thing that you didn't mention is that when you build planes, a part of this too, when you start putting the electronics, you can start thinking about what electronics will go on that plane, what motors, what props. I mean, and you can make them completely different. You can make that an eight S plane. You can make it a three S cruiser with a big prop. There's just so many different ways you can go. And after you start to put planes together, you can anticipate what they fly like before you even put it before you even order it yep yeah yeah and and the group is great because chances are somebody has built something the way you want to build it just ask and and you know the the guys are more than happy to share their experience with what worked or what came home smoking okay so your group is defiant wings group is defiant wing owners group okay you don't have to be an owner to join, but we do keep it a private group just to keep the riffraff out. Yeah, perfect. That's We're nice. decidedly low drama group, so yeah, we, we yeah, like we're... to keep a keep a handle on that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's great. We we certainly appreciate you having us today. That's a great way to go out. That is. Um, really want to thank you, especially for showing up in such short notice. Uh, for thank you, this has been really—it's fantastic. I just loved, you know, more than anything else. I just loved seeing the enthusiasm towards the hobby um, coming across. Because you know, if someone is enthusiastic about it, like you're you're responsible for talking to the, to the people. If, if the plane doesn't work, you're going to be hearing about it, or if it doesn't meet the expectations, you're going to be hearing about it. So. You know, that's kind of like where I, I can hear what you're saying and, and seeing what's going on. And like, I know these planes are going to be really a fantastic, each one of them. So really excited we have you on today. Thank you so much. Thank and you. until next time, we're signing off, saying goodbye to everybody. Bye-bye. Right. Thank, Thank you. you for listening to Wing Talk. The yeah. webcast is live the third Sunday of every month. And this podcast follows shortly afterwards. Check out inavfixedwinggroup.com for more details.